Today I have Joshua Erickson back on the podcast to continue our series on the Jewish calendar and holidays. Now if you remember, Joshua and I have had a few conversations up to this point. If you haven't listened to any of our prior conversations, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes first. They are episodes number 15, 27, 28, 30, and 40. The reason for this is that they all kind of build on each other. On this episode, we have a conversation about Purim. We talk about the biblical story behind the celebration, the deeper meanings of the story, and how it shows us that even when we don't think God is around, He's always there. And finally, how the holiday is kept today. That's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I want to take just a few moments here and just say thank you for listening. I can never tell you how much it means to me that you spend your time here with me. Now, on top of that, last year I received donations that helped me upgrade the audio, equipment, and software. This year I want to do the same thing for video. Now, if you want to help out and make a donation, you can do that by going to mormonrenegade.com and making a donation there. Also, check out the Mormon Renegade Supply Store at mormonrenegade.com and pick up some merch. Now, if you can't do any of those, I completely understand. It's not like it's been a banner year necessarily for our finances. So maybe just keep the podcast in your prayers. Finally, as I've started to do more video, there's a YouTube channel up for the podcast. But uh, just between you and me, yeah, I ain't going to be there very long because I have a feeling I'm going to get kicked off. So to stay one step ahead of that, I've made a channel on Rumble. So head on over to Rumble, look up the Mormon Renegade podcast channel there, and crush that like and subscribe button. Thank you. I have been very careful on this podcast to only advertise for items that I feel will add value and purpose in your life. That said, I've discovered a book that I really believe should be in every Mormon's library. The book is called Beneath Sheep's Clothing. In this book, the author, Julie Beeling, breaks down the communist infiltration into our schools, institutions, and perhaps even most distressing, our churches. The book backs up its claims with well-cited sources, so you can go do the research yourself. This book will allow you to see the communist tactics and gives you the tools on how to combat this insidious movement in America. Julie is right now trying to raise money to make the book into a documentary, and I can't recommend donating to this cause strongly enough. So head over to mormonrenegade.com and you can find the link to buy the book and donate to the documentary in this episode page or scroll down to the very bottom of the landing page at mormonrenegade.com to find a link to buy the book. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Joshua, it's good to have you back, man. Yeah, really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So we're on uh, Purim now? That's right, Purim. Awesome. Okay, give the backstory. What is Purim? Ooh, okay. So uh, Purim is uh, is the Feast of Esther, also known as the Feast of Esther. Purim actually is a Hebrew word, Purim, uh, means lots, as in like casting lots. Okay. And so... Um, it's called that because of the things that happen in the story. So just kind of the brief overview of the story, and we'll get into maybe some specifics. But uh, uh, this story happens when uh, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, is in captivity in, in Babylon and then in Persia. Um, and 
right? There's the the king. The king is uh, uh, Akashverosh, and he uh, he has a queen Vashti, and she displeases him, and he gets rid of her, looks for a new queen, and Esther is uh, you know comes up as one of the possibilities. So is this king an Israelite? Is he Israeli? No, he is. Uh, he is Persian. Okay. Yep. So, um, uh, you know the story probably, or right. many people do, but uh, just to keep going here, Esther keeps her Jewish identity secret, and eventually she is chosen to be queen, um, but there's some uh, some intrigue on the side. There's the bad guy in the story whose name is Haman, or Haman, and uh, he has a plan to destroy all the Jews because he's been offended by uh, Mordecai, who is... Esther's cousin. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the this plan that he has to destroy all the Jews um, comes to light, and uh, Esther, <clears throat> you know, petitions the king, but it's a dangerous thing to do, but she petitions the king to get the, <clears throat> the, uh, the decree reversed, and they're not able to do that, but they do come up with a solution, and uh, the Jews are saved, and Haman gets killed, and Mordecai gets exalted, and then they have a big party to celebrate, uh, you know, their liberation, their salvation from destruction. Hmm. You know, yeah. that's one of those stories that I feel like probably doesn't get enough run, right? Because oftentimes you hear, you know, well, you get into biblical stuff and, you know, women are quote-unquote second-class citizens. And here it's a woman that saves the entire nation. Oh, yeah, she's the Queen Esther is the hero. Uh, Mordecai as well. They are, but, you know, Esther has an enormous role to play. And, uh, yeah, I think I think it doesn't get that much attention. Um, and there's actually good reasons for that. Uh, there's the story of Esther. The book of Esther is a very complex book, actually. And there are a lot of themes uh, woven through the book, but one of them is hidden things. Okay. So it might be surprising to even people who have read it might be surprised to realize that the book of Esther is the only book in the entire canon uh, of scripture that does not mention God. Really? He is completely anonymous uh, and hidden in uh, the book of Esther. So no one, there's no, there's no prophets, there's no visions, there's no miracles. No one even says a prayer. Huh? Um, and uh, so that's not the only hidden thing. There are other hidden things too, um, like uh, like Esther's identity. She keeps her she keeps herself hidden, um, like the plans of Haman. He keeps those hidden. There's a secret plot to kill the king, um, and there's all these kind of secret things that eventually all come to light. And that's that's so that's one of the themes is. There's these hidden things that eventually come to light. And um, one of the ways that Purim is celebrated is by wearing disguises or costumes. Okay. So it's a costume party. Nice. Yep. So everyone comes uh, you know, dressed up. And uh, so that's fun. We, Whenever we celebrate it, we, we do that. Uh, nice. Yeah. So <clears throat> Esther's in disguise and, and even God's in disguise in, in the book, which is another one of the kind of amazing things about – um, the story of Esther is um, this idea that uh, God is manifested 
in the lives of these people through coincidences, essentially. That, that there's no miracles, like I said. There's no miracles. There's nothing that you could point at um, as a supernatural intervention that God makes in the outcome. And yet, when you pull this, when you look at the entire string of events, the the out you know the uh, the likelihood of having that series of outcomes end up in the favor of the Jews just makes it undeniable that yes God was there uh, behind the scenes so to speak you know pulling strings and so that's that's kind of a, one of the, the take home messages I guess is that um, even if it seems like God's not around. God's not around if you're not hearing God's voice. You're not seeing miracles like he is still there pulling strings behind the scenes and he has his his purposes and his timing for revealing himself, um, but he's not inactive. He just has plans that he's working out. So, so that's an important thing. Yeah, that's a huge takeaway. I don't know how many times I know in my life I've looked up and just been like, where are you? <laughs> Yeah. Where are you? And and uh, I suppose that's that's the the wisdom in the part of the wisdom in the book, right? In that it particular is. book is very that wise. You, you don't see him, you don't hear from him, but he's there. Yeah. Even uh, you know, I think of the uh, one of the letters of Joseph Smith. I can't remember section one twenty or one twenty one around there. Yeah. When he's, he's like, in Liberty Jail. Yeah. How long shall the pavilion cover? I can't remember the. You know, how long will you be hiding? You know, right. Oh God, like, where are you? And this is Joseph, who's just has like this stream of. He saw them, right? <laughs> stream of miraculous heavenly visitations and things, uh, being frustrated for this moment of silence. You know, so you know, there's been longer moments of silence. You know, there've been sure. centuries of silence, but uh, but the story of Esther kind of just demonstrates that even in those. So um, apparent moments of silence or even centuries of silence that God's still orchestrating things behind the scenes. So Yeah, I, and I think we all have that dark night of the soul at some point, right, where just everything's gone to hell and we can't seem yeah. to figure it out and we all, all have that moment. And I think, I think when we see heroes like that struggle with that idea, I think that that can only... Um, serve to bolster our faith, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. even Amen. even if our spiritual heroes er, on occasion say, "Where are you, God?" I think I think that allows us to have uh, a little bit of grace with ourselves when Should. we look back Should. and go, "Well, yes. maybe I didn't handle that right." And uh-huh. Rather than beat ourselves up, it gives us the opportunity to um, reflect and grow a little more. Yeah, there's some humility there. Um, so Purim is, it is a, a biblical holiday, obviously it's in the book of Esther. Um, but, uh, it is, it is one of those holidays that you could appropriately, um, call Jewish. So the other holidays, you know, Passover and Tabernacles, um, and, uh, Rosh Hashanah, like those are, those are actually bigger than Jewish. Those are Israelite feasts. Those are biblical, you know, those are commanded things. But this was something that was experienced by the Jews, so meaning those from those from the southern kingdom. And I have to kind of make that point um, 
because uh, Esther and Mordecai, who are the heroes of the story, they are not actually from the tribe of Judah. And yet, in the story, they are called Jews. They're actually both from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the story in the story, they are called Jews. And that's because they're from the southern kingdom of Judah. So would this, and correct me if I'm wrong, would this be classified more as like a cultural holiday then? Yeah, it is a, it is a cultural holiday, I would say, uh, but it definitely has uh, religious overtones. Overtones, yeah. Overtones, yeah. Uh, religious theme. You know, it's much like um, like our Thanksgiving or Independence Day. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, those are, oh, yeah, yeah. Those are, those are religious holidays. They absolutely are. Yeah. yeah. So, but not, uh, but those are things that are not, you know, commanded in the scriptures necessarily. Now, the interesting thing, though, is um, even though a Purim is not a commanded thing, it's not, uh, it's not on the list of things in the Torah, um, there is a strong hint at it. So kind of like uh, with Hanukkah, or we talked about last time in Leviticus 23, has the list of all of the commanded um, feast days. Um, and also uh, Yom Kippur, uh, which is not a feast day, it's a fast day. So those are all listed there in the order that they're celebrated. And then you go to Leviticus 24 and it says, keep the lamps burning all the time. So it's like, mm. there's kind of this hint at Hanukkah. Right. So the Torah has the uh, hint uh, about uh, Purim as well. And um, I'm going to go to Numbers chapter 24, I think it is. Yes. Um, now, interesting thing is uh, when uh, Esther and Mordecai are living in Persia, uh, they they have Persian names. So it's kind of like um, Daniel, and you know Daniel's his Hebrew name, right? And his Persian, you know, his Babylonian name was Belteshazzar. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, those are all uh, Babylonian names as well. It's Hananiah, uh, I can't remember, Hananiah, Meshach, I can't remember the names of the three. Anyway. It's all good. <laughs> anyway, so they, uh, Esther and uh, Mordecai, they have, those Those are actually uh, Persian names. So uh, Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah, okay. uh, which is mentioned in the text. Hadassah, which is the Hebrew word for myrtle tree. Okay. And um, But uh, her Persian name, Esther, means star. So mm. Esther is, Esther is this is like the same as the origin of uh, our word like uh, astronomy or astrology. Oh, okay. Her name is Esther, Aster. Okay. So her name is a star. <laughs> so uh, anyway. It's a lot to live up to. That is, yeah. I guess you yeah. could think that. <laughs> so in... Uh, in Numbers chapter 24, verse – Numbers 24, first of all, this is uh, where Balaam right. is been, being hired to attempt to curse Israel right. and just fails over and over, okay, and ends up blessing them. But in uh, – let's see, uh, ver, verse 17. Now, this is usually um, – this is usually taken to be a prophecy about the Messiah, and I think that it is, but just like the uh, the Messiah is, um, you know, has foreshadowing uh, by many of the prophets and other characters in the scriptures, um, this prophecy is fulfilled in both Esther and also the Messiah. So, so in verse seventeen it says, uh, 
that in the future uh, there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter. So this is going to be this is going to be royal. A royal star is going to come <laughs> out of Jacob, um, out of Israel, and he shall uh, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. So it's talking about a battle. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remains in the city. And when uh, he looketh on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. Okay, Amalek is also mentioned earlier, actually, um, in uh, verse 7, he shall pour the water out of his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters and his king shall be, his king, meaning Israel, uh, shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom um, shall be exalted. So Agag and Amalek, um, these actually are tie into the story of Esther as well. So um, let me, uh, well, I guess I, I can talk about that right now. So one of the one of the themes of the story of Esther is actually the redemption of King Saul. You remember uh, Saul was Israel's first king, right? Yeah, and um, he was also a Benjamite, huh? Right. So here we have this this first king of Israel, Benjamite, and then we have Esther and Mordecai. They are also Benjamites, and actually uh, interesting if you go to uh, um, Esther chapter, I think in chapter two, let me see here. Uh, um, uh, it mentions a partial uh, genealogy of uh, Mordecai. Okay, it is in two. Oh, yeah, two. Verse five. Now in Shushan, which is the capital city, uh, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. So uh, interestingly, um, in um, uh, Kish, uh, Kish and Jair and uh, uh, Shimei, these are all um, relatives of Saul as well. And um, and so by just with this little mention right here, uh, there's a clue. Now there's there's a, a larger like kind of an expanded canon I would say of the scriptures called the Targums. Have you, have you heard of the Targums? Mm-hmm. I have. So basically, I like to think of the Targums <coughs> as basically like the JST, like ancient JST. Okay. <clears throat> they have they're the scriptures with like added explanations and clarifications. All right. So in the uh, in the Targum of uh, Esther. It actually explicitly ties Mordecai to King Saul, like he's a direct descendant. Oh, okay. Okay, and Esther is uh, Esther is as well because they're they're cousins. Right. So, <clears throat> okay. Now, uh, ultimately, ultimately, King Saul fails, um, and the kingdom is taken from him. That's in First uh, Samuel fifteen. Right. Um, I won't I won't go read it, but basically, um, uh, Samuel tells him it's time to go after Agag. And Agag is the king of the Amalekites. And um, and who are the Amalekites? Uh, Amalek, the original Amalek, is the grandson of Edom. 
or Esau. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so all three of those names uh, were mentioned in Numbers chapter 24 when it talks about a, a star will rise up with a scepter and will right. basically subdue Edom, uh, Amalek, and Agag. So the, okay. Okay. So, um, so what happens is, uh, well, first, let's back up a little bit more. Uh, why is Amalek a problem? Well, when the children of Israel come out of Egypt um, and they're, they're going through the wilderness, uh, Amalek, the Amalekites, they actually kind of sneak up behind uh, the Israelite oh, camp right. and start, like, killing the stragglers, women and children and people who are lagging behind. And, um, and then this is where they have their big battle where, you know, Moses goes up on the hill and he's got his arms held up, you know, by uh, Aaron she and her. Okay. Yeah. Aaron and her. And Joshua is down there as the, the commander of the army. And uh, eventually Amalek is defeated, but not entirely. They just defeat him in that one battle. So eventually um, they get established in the land. Um, Saul is chosen to be king and Samuel says it's time to go and take care of the Amalekites um, for what they did and they're still you know they still want to destroy Israel so we're going to go take care of that and Saul is told to spare nothing right he says wipe out everything man woman child um, and even the, the cattle sheep cows everything you just and you and also um, all of their stuff, you know, their, whatever treasure you may find, do not touch it. So Saul goes and uh, carries out this mission, and then you know they're successful um, in the battle. They Saul wins. Agag is the king of the Amalekites at this time, um, and uh, so Samuel comes after the battle's over and says, "Oh, how did you do?" And Saul says, oh, we did excellently. We, we uh, fulfilled the words of the Lord completely. And uh, in the background, there's like this. <laughs> and uh, Samuel says, uh, what is the sound of all this cattle I hear? Why does, why does the army have a bunch of cattle? And Saul says, oh, well, you know, we saved all those from, those are spoils. And Samuel's like, uh, you were told explicitly not to do that. And Samuel says, oh, well, but we're going to offer these as sacrifices to the Lord. So that will be, that ought to be pleasing to him. And right, this is the famous line where Samuel tells him, uh, you know, the Lord would rather have obedience than sacrifice. Right. And, um, and then Samuel's like, well, uh, or, uh, you know, Saul's like, well, we also, we also saved the king alive here too. Look, we got him right here. Here's Agag. <laughs> And, uh, and Samuel's like, what are you doing? And um, so uh, no doubt, uh, no doubt when Saul started having success and then they kind of fell upon the spoils, they, they let a bunch of Amalekites go. go because they had to round up sheep and cows and stuff you know? right so they just so Saul fails and then Samuel tells him the kingdom is he, he actually tears his cloak or whatever and says the kingdom is torn from you and then um, of course David is anointed can, can I ask you a question and this may be off the subject a little bit but I think it's worth exploring here oftentimes you hear critics of the Bible 
say things like it's just brutal. There's, you know, this, I, I don't see God in the Bible when you start talking about killing everybody. Yeah. Women, children. Yeah. What's your response to something like yeah. that? You know what? Uh, actually, um, uh, it, it is it is a hard thing to kind of understand, especially with our, um, especially with our modern sensibilities. I think because uh, I think in those, you know, those former ages, uh, I think there was a lot more violent. The world was just a more violent place. Oh, it was. Yeah. And we have we are very secure, and there's not bands of marauders and uh, you know robbers coming to. You know, bands of robbers coming to steal the king's sheep and stuff all the time. <clears throat> uh, people who don't think it's strange that people who carry you know a concealed weapon or something with them all the time, sure. they think that's uh, they, you know, there's something wrong with these people, you know. So um, it's difficult. You know, I've I have had I've talked to uh, Mormons, you know, who feel this way, like the God in the Old Testament is all vengeance and destruction and the God in the New Testament's all lovey-dovey and stuff. And and, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, in the Book of Mormon, there's God just like destroys like city after city. Like after the, after, right. you know, at Jesus' crucifixion, there's all the destruction. There's just all these wicked cities that are sunk and burned and whirlwinds and earthquakes. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. So, so what do I, uh, I mean, what's my answer to that? Ultimately, I think it's the, uh, uh, you have to realize how utterly depraved and wicked uh, the people who are destroyed are. Uh, same with the, the, the worldwide, you know, the flood with Noah. Um, uh, you know, the Canaanites uh, in particular, right, which is what we're talking about here with the Amalekites too. Uh, I mean, they were committing on the regular every abominable, violent, uh, depraved act that that could be done. And um, and God said they're just their their wickedness is full and overflowing. And so um, the land needs to be cleansed. And to be honest, I think um, uh, yeah, I mean I, I think it I think ultimately it was it is a uh, I mean, it, it's it's a blessing actually to everyone, even even those who were wiped out in the flood. It was it was probably better for them in any looking at it with eternal eyes. Sure, like just stop, stop sinning. Let's let's have a reset here. Um, of course, in God, you know, in reality, no one no one dies. Uh, right. In in a final sense, those people are all still alive. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the other thing is too is that. I think what the Lord's trying to do here is prevent a blood feud from continuing on for generations and generations. Oh, absolutely. Right? Let's, absolutely. Let's 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 finish this off. And and people don't have to look that far back in history to see that that's not unreasonable. I mean, we helped the Mujahideen in Afghanistan and it still came back to bite us in the ass, right? Yeah. So th- this idea that and you have to look at time frame. It's a different time, right? Yeah. I mean, you have child sacrifice everywhere. Correct. And by yeah, I mean, the, these people were burning their children alive. Yep. And, and these are these are the people that God says wipe out. So it's not like they're just a bunch of uh, exactly <laughs> innocent 
uh, righteous people. Exactly. These are, these are, uh, I mean, these are these are people who just, without provocation, just came up behind right. Israel and started murdering. <clears throat> yep. The the weak among them. So uh, and that's and that I believe because um, I believe I, I mean I believe what the scriptures say that the the entire region of Canaan was full yep. of people who were just cutthroat, bloodthirsty, violent, wicked to the max. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. I agree totally. I. And it's it's hard for us to comprehend. Maybe. It, no, it a, abs- a society that wicked, but. Yeah, just it, hang it, on, hang on for a decade or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It it is hard to recognize that, right? But the because we have been the beneficiaries of a fairly robust society for the better part of two hundred and fifty years now, right. especially within oh, America. Yeah. yeah, and so to have that just pop out at you at the Bible, I can see where that might might throw some folks. But it takes a little bit of. You know, before you throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's look at everything around there. Um, and it was a much more brutal time than than what we're in now. Absolutely. So, so that's the uh, that's the downfall of Saul. He hangs on as king for a while, you know, until David is grown, and uh, and Saul is eventually killed in battle, commits suicide, uh, attempts to anyway, and. Uh, but that was, but that was kind of the the breaking point as far as the Lord was concerned. Like, that's it. Like, the kingdom is going to another line, and you know, Saul's Saul's children are not going to be kings anymore. But in the story of Esther, we actually have Saul's descendants becoming royalty again. A redemption. It's the redemption of Saul and his line. Yep. So, uh, and it happened actually in. Uh, well, well, we'll get to that. Let's go. Uh, Talk about the the story a little more, I guess, a little more depth. So, um, so the story starts out. Actually, this is another theme. <laughs> this is another theme throughout the book: is uh, drunkenness. <laughs> there's, uh, uh, I counted them before I came over here. There's, uh, there's like six huge drinking parties. Well, I don't know about huge drinking parties. There's six drinking parties. Wow. Of various sizes uh, that are mentioned, and so, and I think that's part of that's part of um, that's part of the analogy with the the God God being hidden is also just that the people in the story are like kind of unaware, you know, they're drunk, right. and they're just kind of oblivious to the meaning and the significance of the things that are happening around them, and that's I think part of the symbolic reason for in- including uh, accounts of all these drinking parties yeah there's some as a guy who used to drink a lot there there's some pretty strong analogies there right because yeah. you even when look if you're drinking on a regular basis even when you're quote unquote sober you're not really sober right, right? you're you're still kind of out of it you're still uh-huh. a little slow a little, little slow trying to gather your senses so a yeah foggy yep a little foggy in the brain so akashverosh um he becomes king, and like to celebrate, he ha- he throws a six month long drinking party for all the princes and nobles. Okay, and uh, and then when that's over, uh, he throws another drinking party for everyone in Shushan, which is the capital city. 
All the people, everyone, rich and poor, come for a whole week and just the wine is just poured out. People can drink as much as they want. No one's required to drink. It specifically says, like, people can just do whatever they want and uh, just have a good time. So so more than half a year, uh, there's this drinking party. That's how that's how Akashverosh starts off his, uh, his uh, you know, his coronation or whatever. Right? In my younger days, I would have been like, six months, rookies. <laughs> So during this, during this, uh, you know, he's had um, while he, while he's having his um, feast and drinking party, um, he calls he calls for his wife, Queen Vashti. Of course, she she is, she is the queen. Now, uh, Akashverosh, he has he has a harem as well, but uh, but he has one queen who's Vashti, and. Um, she, you know, she's reputed to be extremely beautiful, maybe the most beautiful, the fairest of them all. I don't know. Right. And, uh, so some of his princes and stuff, he's, he's talking and bragging he says, call for Vashti, you know, tell her to come up here. So everyone, and he's drunk, right? I tell him to come up here so we can all look at her and see how beautiful she is. You know, I, I only laugh cause this will tell you how flawed I was. And still am to a large degree, right? I'm not drinking anymore, but I can understand the, you know, I just imagine like, yeah, see my wife. She's so hot. Bring her up. Come here, honey. (laughs) So, uh, of course, he sends messengers. Now, Vashti, she's having her own party with the women. Okay. Okay. And and she is the, uh, she's the granddaughter great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. So, I mean, she's from a royal family. And uh, she doesn't really... She's not drunk, I don't think. and But they come and request her to come and show off her beauty. And she's says, no. Like, I'm not I'm not going down there to hang out with a bunch of drunk... A bunch Gosh. of drunkards, a bunch of drunk guys, yeah. And um, so the king is uh, upset about this. And one of his... Um, counselors, um, who is Haman. He's, it's a different name though. It's, uh, uh, Memukin, but, uh, the Jewish tradition says this is Haman. He comes up with this idea. He says, get rid of Vashti and, um, find someone better, someone who will respect the king, you know, and write a law throughout your kingdom that, uh, all the, all the wives have to respect their husbands. And uh, he says, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So Vashti is... uh, uh, Probably why he was still drinking, too. That's a great idea. (laughs) Vashti is disposed of. Um, It doesn't actually say there's a dispute among the rabbis, you know, whether she was um, exiled or executed, even, possibly. Um, I tend to think executed. Really? And, um, you know, and I... uh, Because because of Esther's hesitation Mm. later on... Like um, she had just seen what happens to even the queen if the king is displeased with her. So <clears throat> anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, so they send out uh, you know messengers throughout the throughout the kingdom to you know to bring the you know the eligible uh, maidens to come and try out for the, the position queen. of queen. Yeah, just so um, and if and uh, you know if you don't get to be queen. You get to be in the royal harem, you know, which probably back then is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you've got you're gonna be financially taken care of at least. So Esther's uh, Esther is uh, 
chosen as one of the uh, contestants. And uh, Mordecai tells her uh, to keep her Jewish identity secret. So she goes and um, and is, uh, you know, they, there's this very long process. It takes actually a whole year of for them to purify themselves and they you know, get all these special baths and perfumes and everything for an entire year before they're ready to appear before the king. So, um, but she does, she wins the king's uh, heart over, becomes the new queen. And then uh, the story also says that Mordecai is, um, Mordecai basically has um, some kind of low-ranking position in the king's court. He's like a doorman or a gatekeeper or something like that. And so he goes to the palace every day and he hangs out at the gate. He doesn't go inside, but he, he, he kind of exchanges news and finds out how uh, Esther's doing. And this is where um, the next secret thing is, is that Mordecai there as the gatekeeper, he one time he's there and he overhears some people talking, you know, around the corner or whatever, um, two of the king's um, attendants, uh, Big Son and Teresh, they're they are planning to assassinate the king, hmm. and he overhears their plans. And then, uh, interesting thing is, he um, well, this this is a, this is a tricky situation here because uh, you are lower, you're, you're a low man on the totem pole, right? And you find out that some of the kings, the king's attendants, so they're higher up than you, um, are planning on assassinating the king. How do you warn the king? Um, who do you tell? Because right. how do you know that the person that you tell isn't in on it? Right. And actually, it's, it's interesting because um, the scriptures actually have another um, case of this. Um, this was um, in Second Kings. Um, there's the Sennacherib, who's the king of Assyria. He was actually um, assassinated by his sons. And it, it mentions that in uh, it mentions that in Second Kings, but uh, they found um, ancient Assyrian clay tablets that have more of the story. And there was um, there was one of the one of the the lower court members who found out about it and actually told his supervisor or whatever, "Hey, I know there's the king's sons are trying to kill him." And the supervisor took him in and they blindfolded him. Because no one's allowed, like commoners or, or lower people are not allowed to look directly upon the king. So even if you do get an audience with the king, you'll be blindfolded. Okay. So they bring him blindfolded before the king and uh, say, says, tell us what you know. And uh, he says, your sons are planning to kill you. And they take off his blindfold and he was just confessing to the, uh, the future assassins. Oh. Because the person that he... In, entrusted was actually in on the plot on the conspiracy oh. <laughs> so and then of course uh, then he was questioned and then he and his household were executed you know yeah. and then the the assassination was carried out you know when when people say capitalism is a cutthroat business i'm like mm, you've never studied monarchies <laughs> yeah, <that's> right <laughs> yeah yeah oh. huh. so um so this is dangerous business right mordecai finds out about this and who can he tell I'll tell Esther because I have access to the queen and and I can trust that and then she can tell the king. So he does that and then Esther Esther tells 
warns the king, <clears throat> um, and the two uh, the two conspirators are caught and executed, and that seems to be the end of it. So it it was it turned out uh, well. <clears throat> now shortly after this, um, Haman, uh, who's one of the kind of the nobles or princes in the kingdom, he gets um, he gets chosen to be kind of the head of the of the nobles. He's kind of elevated to be the prime minister, like the second gotcha. in command. Okay. And um, it's interesting, the, uh, the, uh, the scripture says that, the scripture says that the king commanded that everyone bow down to Haman. Hmm. Um, but, uh, and of course, and the story goes that Mordecai refuses. And, um, <clears throat> but it's interesting that Haman never, doesn't do anything to Mordecai directly, which he would have authority to do. Uh, if that really were the law. So the implication is that probably that was not actually what the king commanded, but uh, Haman was just taking liberties and telling everyone that the king expected them to gotcha. bow down. And it bothered him that uh, um, that when this that when he uh, made this decree that had no legal, legal legally binding force, that people were disrespecting it. Uh, so I mean, you can you can you could make some uh, you know he was <laughs> you can make some inferences or some application to modern day uh, things here too, um, you know when there's policies or decrees or executive orders that are made that are not actually laws, um, but people are punished or outcast or whatever for uh, not bending to these illegal or or even illegal um, orders. Uh, that's the that's the situation that Mordecai was in. Now um, he says he gives the reason that the reason why he doesn't bow to Haman is because he says it's because I'm a Jew. Now this is kind of interesting because uh, in the scriptures that like Jews do bow to people, okay. Um, but interesting is that. Um, it mentions, when it mentions Haman, it specifically mentions part of his genealogy as well, which is that he is a descendant from Agag. Oh. So here we have Mordecai, who's a descendant of Saul, and Haman, who's a descendant of Agag. Who, um, and so um, <clears throat> so there's some, some tension some there. Friction. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, He's really mad about this, and um, every time he rides past uh, Mordecai, who's the gatekeeper, so so uh, Mordecai is seeing right. him frequently. It's not just someone out in the marketplace or whatever; someone in the palace who is uh, refusing to obey this order. And um, so he goes to the king and and says, um, uh, "There is a group of people," and he keeps it secret. He doesn't say who the group of people is. But uh, but the king isn't really paying attention because they like they're they're having a, they're actually drinking while they're doing this. <laughs> okay, it, so they, they, he's like, "There's this group of people who are in your kingdom, and they do not obey the king's laws." He doesn't say what laws or what the specifics are. Uh, he says they don't obey your laws, and I and it will be good if we could get rid of them. And and uh, Haman says, "I will even pay out of my own pocket the soldiers." Um, salaries or at least part of the soldier's salaries to take care of this problem. 
And the king's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Here, take my ring. Go ahead and write a law and, and you Stand. seal it with my signet. And uh, so Haman does this. And, and, and here's where Purim comes in because Haman knows that uh, the Jews are God's people and that he protects them. And so he wants to, he wants to do everything right. And so he decides to uh, basically cast lots, you know, roll the dice to pick uh, the right month and the right day to carry out the execution of the Jews. And, uh, you know, the, the Jewish stories go, uh, this doesn't say it in Esther, but the, the traditions uh, are that he, you know, he rolled the dice and, uh, you know, it fell on, uh, you know, the day of Passover or whatever. He's like, no, 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 no. That's, you know, God <laughs> saved them on that day. And, you know, he r rolled the dice and there's, you know, some other day that's special to the Jews. And he went through every month and there's just uh, nothing was going to be quite right. He knew that those were blessed days. And he finally came to the 12th month and the 13th day of the 12th month. And I'm not sure, but I think this is this is probably part of the reason why uh, 13 is considered an unlucky number. See, this is the day that was chosen by casting lots <clears throat> to uh, to destroy the Jews. And this is what the, you know, the law that Haman wrote basically said on the 13th of Adar, which is the 12th month, then everyone in the kingdom is authorized and there was going to be soldiers officially as well. But everyone is authorized to kill their Jewish neighbors and take their stuff. <laughs> all the all the wealth that the Jews might have can be yours. You can kill them without consequence. In fact, you're commanded to. Oh. <clears throat> and so that was the plan. And uh, the plan, uh, you know, it goes out, uh, and they you know they send out runners. They they post up. Notices all right. over the kingdom, right? Um, and so uh, there's sackcloth and ashes of you know, the Jews are sad about this. And Esther finds out and wonders why Mordecai is so sad. He tells her um, and, uh, and also says to her, you got to go before the king and tell him not to do this or try to stop this. And, and she responds. She's like, I... Even though she's queen, she's like, I have not been in, I've not been called for in the oh. last month. I haven't even seen the king in a month. And I can't just show up. If I show up and he's displeased with me for any reason, then. He's going to ask. Yeah. And we just saw what happened to Vashti, like, you know, a couple of months ago or whatever it is, you know. <clears throat> so, um, um, but Mordecai tells her, he's like, um, he says, if you don't. Um, if you don't step up, the Jews are going to be saved anyway. But uh, but you will bring uh, you know disgrace upon yourself and your family, and and you and your descendants will will be destroyed. Hmm. But the Jewish people, as a people, we are going to be saved anyway. And and he also you know gives her the famous line: Who knows that you know may for all you know. You were brought into the kingdom, you know, to this earth for this very reason. Like, this is your mission. And so that persuades Esther. <clears throat> and um, she tells everybody to fast. Uh, you know, everyone fast for three days. Now, does the king under know she's Jewish yet? No. This is okay. all still a secret. Okay. Okay. 
So at the end of three days, um, <clears throat> she gets all dressed up and makes an unannounced, you know, un, uncalled for uh, appearance in the courtroom, in the royal court before the king. And he's just happy to see her. And he you know, puts out his uh, scepter towards her. She touches the top. And that's the signal that everything's good. And uh, he asks her, what, uh, what do you want, my queen? Anything you, anything you ask for. Half my kingdom. I'll give to you. If you, you know. And she says, I just want you and Haman to come to a drinking party <clears throat> that I have <laughs> planned later this evening. And he says, oh, Done. wonderful. Done. Yeah. Haman, <clears throat> let's go. Let's get ready, you know. And so they go to the drinking party. And uh, Haman is so excited about this because um, it's just the king and he are like the only ones invited by the queen to this party. And he's like, this is awesome. Look, the king just elevated me. And now the queen is elevating me. And uh, and I'm about and I have plans to get rid of all the Jews, which will get rid of my enemy, Mordecai. And this will be uh, this will be so awesome. And so um, uh, the king, uh, Akashvero, she asks Esther, he's like, he's like, tell me what you want. Like, you don't want me to just come to the parties, surely you must have something else that you want. And she says, uh, yeah, I want you to come to another party tomorrow. And then I'll tell you. And he's like, okay, this is great. And uh, and uh, Haman is uh, overjoyed that he gets invited to a party, another drinking party the next day with the queen and the king. This is great. And uh, as he's leaving the party uh, that evening, he passes by Mordecai who does not bow to him. Mm. And he was on this high, this emotional high. Um, and uh, he says, all of all of the honors that have been given me by the king and the queen and my position, they all mean nothing to me as long as Mordecai is alive. Like I, I just, I would rather have him dead than all the success in the world. That's what... Okay, so this is uh, this is the spirit of Agag, right? And um, I got to admit, I feel the same way about the Chicago Bears. So <laughs> I mean, I get it on some level. He goes to his wife, uh, Zeresh, and uh, she says, "Just go. Like you are, uh, you're being exalted right now. Like the king uh, supports you and honors you. The queen supports and honors you." Just go ask the king for permission to kill Mordecai. And he says, why didn't, why didn't I think of that? It's a great idea. It's a great idea. So he said, so that, that night he has a gallows uh, built in his courtyard of his house, like in his backyard. He has or probably front yard. He has a gallows built uh, 50 cubits high, says. He's going up, up front and center up close yeah. and personal. He's on like, this one. I am, and he's going to go tell the king, hey, I built the gallows already. I want to kill this guy. Will you give me permission? And um, so, <clears throat> meanwhile, the king that night uh, can't sleep. And he's tossing and turning. And finally, you know, he brings his uh, servant in and says, uh, read to me from the chronicles of the kings of Persia. And um, so, and all of these things are by chance, right? By chance, this this night, the king can't sleep. By chance, he decides, uh, rather than counting sheep, I'm going to have someone read to me from the Chronicles. Should be boring enough that I can go to sleep. Uh, by chance, the book opens up to 
the place where it mentions how Mordecai saved his life from the assassination attempt. Oh. And the king says, keep, keep reading. What, what did we do to honor Mordecai? And uh, the servant says, nothing. We, we didn't do anything. And the king is just like, what? what? We didn't do anything for the guy who saved my life? How, how can that be? And um, <clears throat> right at this kind of moment of amazement, um, Haman comes like knocking at the door. Like he can't even wait till morning. <laughs> <clears throat> and the king's like, who, who's out there? And uh, it was Haman. And so he says, let Haman in. And uh, he says to Haman, oh, Haman, just, just the man I wanted to see. Tell me, what should the king do to honor, you know, the man that he is pleased with? And Haman in his mind is like, who could the king be talking about except me? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so Haman tells the king, oh, oh okay, uh, this is what you should do. You should uh, take that man and put your royal robe on him and put your crown on him and put him on the king's horse and have one of your uh, most noble princes like uh, lead the horse through the streets of uh, Shushan, the capital city, um, proclaiming, behold, everyone, this is what this is what the king does to the man that he desires to honor. And uh, the king says, Haman, I want you to take the cloak and take the crown and do all those things that you just said to Mordecai. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh, like his bubble just, his world just shattered. Here. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, he goes home in just in defeat. And the next morning he gets up and does what the king commanded. And he puts the robe on Mordecai and the crown on Mordecai and puts him on the king's horse and walks out in front um, proclaiming to everyone, this is the man that the king wants to uh, honor. And this is how the king honors the man that he wants to honor. Now, it's interesting, the the, uh, <clears throat> the rabbis say, and I like this, um, they say, um, although although God is never mentioned uh, explicitly, that if every time, every time uh, Esther uses the word king, if you think of the Lord God, right. then then here's, you know, this is the disguise that, that God is, okay. is using. So, so here is Haman saying, this is the man that, this is actually the man that God wants to honor. Uh, so I got to tell you, I'm, in, I'm thoroughly enjoying this story more than any others. Because one, it feels a little more, even though there's some serious intrigue at play, it's a, it feels a little more lighter. Right. The other thing is there is it is it is it is humorous. Yeah, I mean, it is so funny and part, dark and yeah, uh, yeah. It, there's like I'm I'm thinking of all these characters. Right, you got Mordecai, who's just a good guy, just trying to do what he's supposed to do, and then you have Esther, who is kind of the reluctant hero a little bit. Like I, I don't want to go do this. Yeah, and then you got the king, and to me he. He seems like a drunk frat boy more than anything else, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it, it's just like every human foible wrapped up into one story. And uh, ju- it's, it's, you're right. It's almost comical. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it is. It's, it's the, almost Monty Python. It's the, funny, kind of it's the funniest comical. story in the scriptures. Yeah. It yeah. really is. 
Yeah, I, I could totally see guys for that you know played in like the Holy Grail, Monty Python being in doing something like this. But so he's totally deflated, and um, but he he uh, after he's done walking Mordecai through the streets, then he goes and gets ready for the second drinking party with the queen and the king. And so they have their party, and I'm sure there's just no joy in it for Haman whatsoever. Um, and while he's sulking, um, the king says to Esther, all right, tell me, give me your request. And she says, I request my life and the life of my people. And he's like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Like, no one's, no one's going to touch you. And, um, and she says, and then she reveals, she says, I'm a Jew. And, um, and there's a plot to destroy my people. And the king's like, who? Haman. And Haman's like, what? The queen is a Jew. No, I, I didn't know, you know. And the king is, says the king is so furious that he stands up and leaves the room just to regain his composure. composure. And while the king's out, of course, they're, they're royalty, Persian, so they have the, the table there, and everyone's like on a, like a couch or a bed, right? And everyone's reclining at the table, drinking and eating grapes and whatever they do. And uh, Haman just like runs over to the queen's couch or the queen's bed and is just like pawing at her, pleading for his life, you know. Uh, and uh, the, at that moment, the king happens to come back in. And there's Haman like on the bed with the queen, and he's like, oh, oh, you're going to, are you going to force the queen, right, like, right here in my house, you know, in my presence? And he's like, guards, you know, get Haman. And then one of the guards is like, hey, king, look out the window over there. Do you see that gallows in uh, Haman's yard? That was, that was what he was, he was planning on asking uh, you permission to kill Mordecai on that gallows. And, and the king's like, Mordecai? Like, the man I just honored? And uh, and Haman's just speechless, and he says, take Haman and hang him on that. <laughs> and then he brings in Mordecai and, uh, and, and, puts, and puts the robe and the crown on him um, and basically says, you will be my second in command. And, and so this is another theme of the book of Esther is this reversal. Hmm. of, I mean, they changed places. Haman was hung on the gallows that he had made for Mordecai, and Mordecai is elevated and become, and actually takes Haman's place uh, as the, the king's advisor, prime minister, whatever. And, uh, and he takes the, the ring, you know, as they're taking Haman away to hang him, he takes the ring off his finger, the signet, and put, and, you know, later on he gives that to, uh, Mordecai's not there, but the next day, you know, he gives that to Mordecai. And, uh, and, and, uh, so the king's like, okay, well, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention when Haman told me about this plan and I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Um, what do you want me to do? And, and, uh, Esther and Mordecai are like, you need to, you need to save our people and write a law and, and reverse it. And he says, I can't do that, you know, because once, once a law has been written, then we can, it cannot be undone. But, uh, I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you my ring, and you can write a new law, whatever whatever you can think of to help your people. And so, what they decide doing to do is uh, a new law that says that um, with uh, with royal approval, 
the Jews may defend themselves. Mm. Like it is perfectly legal for the Jews to defend themselves. Um, and, um, and that the, like the royal um, favor or uh, whatever you want to say is with the Jews now. Okay. And so, and then, um, and then to show that this is the case, like Mordecai does go through the streets again um, with the king's robe and the crown, and he's second in command. And um, there's a lot. This the you know in Esther it says that a bunch of the people who were enemies, you know, they they start to have second thoughts about carrying out these plans because you know the tide has changed here, and a bunch of people who maybe were kind of just ambivalent actually join with the Jews and and convert hmm. to because now uh, Judaism is it's favored. favored. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the thirteenth. Uh, the 13th of Adar comes, and there's a big battle in uh, the palace uh, city, Shushan, and also in the larger um, empire. And uh, basically the Jews are victorious uh, on the 13th. And, um, and so on the 14th, uh, people outside the, the, the capital city, they have a big party you know, to celebrate their deliverance. Um, inside the city... Um, they, uh, they fight for an additional day. Uh, so they fight on the 13th and they fight on the 14th. And then on the 15th, when they're in the city, they have a, they have a party. And so those two days, the 14th and the 15th, those are the days of Purim that, okay. they, that they celebrate. That's where the party aspect That's comes where the party from. comes from. Now, um, I'm going to read, uh, well, so I'm going to mention a couple more, um, um, of course, uh, there's this, this theme of chance and coincidence and, um, uh, you know, with the Purim, uh, which the lots and the scriptures have a bunch of times when lots are cast too. It's actually interesting though. Um, like in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says the lot is cast in the lap, uh, but the outcome is the Lord's basically that's, that's a paraphrase, mm. but. It's like uh, lots are used to make decisions and you like have some control over the the die or the straws or whatever it is you're p- doing, but the outcome the Lord will use. So so there's a bunch of times in the scriptures when lots are, are used. Um, you know, Nephi and his brothers, they cast lots to decide who's going right. to go try to get the plates. And um, even though the first, you know, um, layman fails... Uh, Lay- Layman, yep. Layman fails, uh, even though the lot was cast for him. Like I think that's actually shows God's hand. And then they all go together, right? And they all fail together. And so this is like the oldest doesn't have a right to the plates, and as a group they don't have a right to the plates. They are Nephi's. Gotcha. Um, of course, they cast lots to decide. Uh, like the apostles decide who to replace Judas with, right? And they decide uh, Matthias. Uh, anyway, there's lots of other times, uh, including uh, the land. The land was supposed to be divided by casting lots. And we still call land lots, lots, right? Yep. So that comes from that idea of, like, Joshua, Joshua was supposed to cast lots to decide where the tribes get their inheritances. So anyway, so that's that's one of the themes. Um, 
Another one, as I mentioned, is this turning things upside down. And the scriptures are kind of full of this too, but this story just illustrates it so perfectly, you know, about the weak things being made strong, strong things being made weak, um, you know, valleys being exalted, mountains made low, first last and the last first. And uh, so this happens. Now, um, the redemption redemption of Saul, I'm going to mention that a little more too, um, because it's interesting that uh, when the Jews defend themselves, it on both those days, they fight on the 13th and they fight on the 14th. And it says specifically that the Jews did not touch any of the spoils. Oh, harking back to Saul. That's right. And what was happening there. Yep. So this is the redemption of Saul. Like it was, but it was the other way around. Um, the law that Haman had written said, you can go uh, kill your right. neighbors and take their goods. But when the Jews defended themselves... They didn't. They just left everything for whatever the whoever is supposed to inherit <laughs> right. the dead people's property. Um, so, but this is like you know, yeah. Again, the redemption of Saul by um, by his descendant Mordecai, who wasn't the king, but uh, but symbolically he was the king, right? Yeah, because he, he was wearing the, around, yeah. wearing the crown, wearing the robes on the king's horse, parading around. Here is. The king essentially um, doing, uh, succeeding at the task specifically against Agag, because remember Haman is the descendant of Agag. Right. Succeeding against Agag, um, where his ancestor Saul had failed. Hmm. Um, and then the other, uh, another really interesting thing, um, really interesting thing about. Purim is uh, that it has some interesting ties to Yom Kippur. Really? So, so Yom Kippur, uh, we've talked about it, is the highest, holiest day right. in the calendar, right? This is the day of atonement. That's what Yom, Yom is day, Kippur is atonement or covering. In, uh, <clears throat> if you go to Leviticus 20 or, uh, 23, uh, like I mentioned, before that it has all the feasts and when it talks about Yom Kippur there though it, it actually the word is Yom Kippur and it's that word is in other places but in Leviticus 23 it actually says uh, Yom HaKippurim uh, mm-hmm. so uh, and yeah, it's if if you read the word if you read the word one way Yom is day and then HaKippurim uh, means uh, uh, the day of coverings. It's it's actually plural, um, or atonements. Okay, the day of atonements. But you can actually you can actually break the phrase up in Hebrew uh, a little different way, and you can say Yom Haki Purim, which means a day like Purim. Oh. So how is Yom Kippur like Purim? There's actually some very interesting parallels. Um, of course, there's there's these also uh, big drastic differences too. So on Yom Kippur, the, the other days, Passover and um, um, uh, Tabernacles and the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, those are all those are days that are kind of mixtures of spiritual, spiritual uh, you know there's spiritual things and but there's also 
um, physical things too because it's a party. Right. And you have a feast and you have friends over, but there's also prayers and recitations and meditation and all those things. Um, Yom Kippur is is kind of one extreme end of that though because there's nothing physical on nothing that Nothing to do. You're just... There's no party. There's no feast. You're just pulling for the priest to get his job done. That's exactly right. You just pray and hope and like it's all spiritual. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have Purim, which is actually all physical. Like it's just a party. People wear costumes. People act crazy. They sing songs and dance. People go out and visit their neighbors. Uh, they, they take food to... Uh, to everyone, um, they drink a lot actually, um, and um, it's quite the opposite. Um, so there's these like polar opposites there, and yet there's this. Um, uh, there, the rabbis see these two days as like opposite sides of the same coin. Oh, okay. Okay, and and as a balance to each other. I was gonna say there's kind of a yin and yang thing yeah, going on. Yeah, that's there. exactly right, and that salvation comes through both things because there is this um, there is this need that we have for atonement and um, forgiveness and for humility and reverence but there's also uh, there's also a need for partying and having a good time and rejoicing and all that and Purim just fills that fills that beautifully yeah and that salvation is Includes both those things, you know. Now, another interesting thing is uh, <clears throat> on the day of Yom Kippur, the high priest, um, well, every, well, first of all, everyone's fasting. Right. And they're fasting for the success of the high priest because he's going to go in to the throne room. He's going to go into the Holy where Holy. the Holy of Holies is, where the Ark of the Covenant is, which is the God's throne, and appear before the king and ask for the salvation of his people. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Do you see what Esther? Yep. So Esther yep. Esther go Esther fasts and she goes in fasting and appears before the king and doesn't know whether she'll live or die. I mean, this is a this is a threat that hangs over ancient Israel too. Like if the high priest goes in there and he's unworthy in some way, um like God might just strike him down. Right? Which and it's kind of unknown. You don't know. Right, and so uh, Esther doesn't know, like the high priest doesn't know, um, but she goes in fasting and uh, is accepted, and the people are redeemed, um, right? You know, as a result. So, um, the other thing is interesting is um, all the other festivals and holy days, um, none of them involve casting lots except Purim and Yom Kippur, because they actually cast lots on the two goats. Yeah, that's that right. is part of Yom Kippur is casting lots. Okay, um, for for the for the salvation. Now, in in uh, in the story of Esther, the lots are cast for their destruction, and then on Yom Kippur, the lots are cast for their salvation. Right. But uh, but those are the only times when lots are cast in connection with a holiday. So there's this beautiful kind of connection there too. Um, and the other. Um, the other interesting and kind of beautiful thing I'm gonna this is this is kind of the last theme and then I want to tell tell about some kind of modern uh, fulfillments I guess of, okay. of Purim. But um, another thing that's interesting about Purim and this kind of goes back to the the God is hidden kind of thing. Um, 
you know, when the ch- the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai, it was fearful. There, the mountain was on fire. There was smoke. There was the sound of the shofar. There was thunder and lightning. And God says, here's my commandments. Will you keep them? Uh, but it's... Uh, uh, the answer that they gave was, of course, yes. But uh, you could argue that it was a little coerced. Sure. Because it's like, will you keep my commandments? If you say yes, you'll be my people. If you say no, this is your grave. Right. I, I will just destroy you right here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, oh, yes, we'll say yes. I think we'll say yes. And Moses, please go up and talk to him because we don't want to. We'll see him right this now. This is okay. too much, right? So um, symbolically, like this is where, this is where uh, God marries, you know, becomes the husband of right. Israel. This is the, the their contract, their ketubah. Um, but on uh, Purim, uh, we have a choice made by the Jews to be God's people and to own their heritage, own their Jewishness. Without any coercion. In fact, God's not around. Right. God doesn't seem to be coming to save them. There's no prophet. There's no Moses. And uh, the people probably could just keep their identities hidden and avoid trouble. You know, keep their nose down. Don't uh, don't draw any attention to yourself. Um, but uh, even when God's not there, and at the Purim, they say we are going to be there um, for God, even though he doesn't seem to be here for right. us, right? We're going to be faithful anyway. So there's no coercion. So so sometimes, uh, you know, those, you know, some commentators will say something like, this is like Sinai is where the marriage happened, but Purim is like where the romance began. Like, okay. Like where the Jews showed their love without any coercion, right? And just gotcha. said, actually, I do choose you. Even when, um, that when, is awesome. when nothing is going, uh, there's not necessarily going to be any reward or punishment, but I just, um, I just fully embrace my, my Israelite heritage and that, and I'm going to stand up for, for that, um, regardless. Yeah, so, that is really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So those are all the, uh, um, you know, many of the, the beautiful themes. Now, um. Modern modern application to this, okay? Um, actually, this goes to um, the Nazis. There's some real interesting things about Purim and the Nazis. Really? Because, of course, um, the Nazis have the same plan as Haman did. We're going to, we want to exterminate the, Jews, the yeah. Jewish race. Yeah. That was Haman's plan. That was Hitler's plan. Actually, Hitler one time said... Um, it is true we are barbarians. It is an honorable title to us. I am freeing humanity from a false vision called conscience and morality. The Jews have inflicted two wounds on mankind, circumcision on its body and conscience on its soul. The war for world domination will be fought entirely between us, the Germans and the Jews. All else is facade. Ooh. Right. And this is, uh, I mean, this just is, this is the... Uh, the godlessness of socialism, yep, and communism, right? And uh, it bothers me sometimes when 
people say the Nazis were right wing, like they're they're socialists. No, I you know what? I just had a conversation with a woman that uh, the podcast will come out next weekend where we talked about this. I think it's because of um, we measure things differently here in America than in Europe, yeah. right? In America, we reset things back a little bit at the Constitutional Convention from complete anarchy to just this side of orderly. Yeah. And so when we look at right or left, it's a lot different than what Europe does, right? Europe is used to subjugation. They've been that way for yeah. centuries. So when you start talking about right and left in Europe, it's communism's on the left and fascism's on the right. So I don't think that those <laughs> scales mean the same thing, right? Yeah, I think that, I've never heard that explanation. I like that, though. Like when you're just used to right subjugation. Yeah. And uh, monarchy or whatever. Fascism would be on the right of that because you can still own a business. You just have to work uh, with the government. Quid, quid pro quo kind of stuff, right? Yeah, right. Mm. Communism's, you know, federalizing the stuff. So as <laughs> I've looked at it, I think it's a matter of scales. But and, uh, Yeah, point of view. Where's your right. Where's your reference yeah, to measure from? Exactly, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. I like that. Okay, well, um, so not only did uh, Hitler want to exterminate the Jews, but also... Um, they wanted to plunder the yep. Jews too, and they did. There was many Nazi officials that became wealthy from taking, you know, plunder spoils. Yep. So, so that just goes right along with Hamann's uh, mm. plan too. Now it's interesting, um, uh, and the you know the Nazis were aware of this um, kind of Purim connection. Um, so um, let's see, see, I got a little article here. I'm going to read some things here. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is from an article um, in uh, the Torah, Torah.com. Torah it's a website that's got just nice Jewish articles. Anyway, it says the Nazis were well aware of the Jewish holidays and used Jewish festivals for particular savagery. These days had become known to the Jews as Goebbels, uh, Goebbels Calendar. And many atrocities were committed specifically on Purim. So in uh, Purim, <clears throat> Purim of 1942, um, 10, oh, I didn't, I didn't mention this. I'm going to, before I, before I read that, I actually need to uh, mention one more thing in the Book of Esther. So Haman had, um, Haman had 10 sons. Okay, ten. and they ten yes, and they lived uh, they lived in Shushan, which is the, the capital city, and of course they were um, they were involved in the conspiracy of sure. their father, right? So, um, so um, so in this is uh, Esther chapter nine verse twelve on the after the first day of battle on the thirteenth, then you know Esther comes uh, to the king. And uh, the king says, you know, tell me the news. Let's talk about it. And, uh, you know, the king says, the Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the palace, and the 10 sons of Haman. Um, what have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? And now what is thy petition? And it shall be granted unto thee. Or what is thy request further? And it shall be done. So he's like, all right, you've had this success here. Tell me about what's going on out there. So they kind of exchange some news. And he says, what else do you want to have done? 
And um, then said Esther, this is verse 13, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. Now this is interesting because in the verse before he said Haman's sons are destroyed. Right. But here she says, how about tomorrow, meaning uh, prophet, well, literally meaning uh, the 14th. Right. But uh, this could be understand understood kind of prophetically as in the future. In the future, um, let us... Uh, let us do. Let us take Haman's ten sons and hang them on the gallows. <clears throat> it actually gives a list of. Uh, it gives a list of the the ten sons there um, earlier. So, okay. So that's just an important point um, that I want to uh, to bring out. So, so in um, Purim of nineteen forty two, um, there was ten Jews that were publicly publicly hung by the Nazis. Quote, in revenge for Haman. Okay. And then in uh, the next year, Purim of 1943, um, the Nazis fooled some of the Jews in the Piotrkow ghetto by asking for 10 Jewish volunteers as part of an alleged exchange program for Germans living in Palestine. But when the 10 um, volunteers came forward, they were just shot. And again, this was they chose ten because this was revenge for Haman, and they did it, they did it on Purim um, to you know to avenge Haman's ten sons. Um, uh, there was one particular um, guy, and I'm not I'm not a a Holocaust uh, scholar by any means, but anyway, so if these names sound familiar, you can tell me about them. But uh, Julius uh, Stryker or Strike. I can strike cha strike I don't know how to say it. Anyway, um, on um, on the day after uh, Kristallnacht, um, you know, he wrote this article about uh, um, about the the secret plans of the Jews related to the Jewish holiday of Purim, and how if the Germans did not uh, wipe out the Jews, then the Jews are going to be celebrating another Purim. Wow. And so that was, um, so I'll just say striker. Um, Hitler also, I read that there yep. in, uh, in uh, a radio broadcast in 1944, he stated that the Nazis were defeated. The Jews could celebrate the destruction of Europe in a second triumphant Purim festival. So interesting thing though here is that uh, after, uh, you know, after the war was done, Germany's defeated. Um, the Nuremberg trials start. Right. And um, and this is in, uh, they're in 1946, if I remember right. Um, and there's actually, um, let's see, uh, there's actually 11, interesting. There's, uh, let's see, there's 24, defen- 24 defendants tried at the Nuremberg trials. Started in 1945. Um, two of two of the twenty four were acquitted, eight were given prison sentences, and twelve were uh, condemned to death. Uh, of those, one of them, uh, Martin Boroman, was tried in absentia. So I don't think he was. Like, they hadn't captured him, 
or maybe he'd already died, but they like they sentenced tried him, him anyway. anyway. Yeah. So that left eleven, and uh, one of them, uh, Herman Goering, he committed suicide before. I knew Goering did. Yeah. Yep. So now, interesting. This this is not mentioned in the Book of Esther, but in the um, in the Jewish uh, traditions about this, they say that on on the day that uh, Haman was parading Mordecai through the town, that uh, Haman's daughter saw Mordecai being paraded, and like from an upper story window, she like emptied a bedpan oh. on on the man who was leading uh, Mordecai around because you know she just wanted to disrespect whoever was respecting. Uh, right. And then he looks up and she realizes that she just dumped the chamber pot on her dad and realizes that her dad is being humiliated by his enemy and and she commits suicide. Oh wow. So so here's uh so here's uh uh Goring 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 yeah. Goring um uh so he's kind of he's kind of is represented by his daughter. The daughter. Yeah. Which is interesting because uh Goring is Known to have been a uh, crossdresser, mm-hmm. right? So he's yep. he's dressing in women's clothes, putting on makeup. He's got his nails painted, fingernails and toenails painted, uh, dressing in effeminate clothes, changing his outfit all the time. Yep. And um, so so uh, Haman's daughter commits suicide before before everything goes down, and the ten sons are hanged. Wow. And Goring. Um, Likewise, uh, you know, represents that. So now the the other ten, uh, they're uh, convicted and sentenced, and they all ask to be um, shot because they're they're military men. They want to be uh, tried by firing squad. Right. But uh, um, you know, the court says, "No, we're not going to honor you. Honor you with that way. We're going to hang you ten. And. Um, and actually, uh, the sentence is is given in June of forty five, and um, then there's all these appeals and stuff that goes until October sixteenth of nineteen forty six, um, which is interesting because that is the that is the last day of Tabernacles, right? Um, and so, um, so. Um, in, another interesting thing is um, in the book of Esther, now you, you can't see anything like it in the English, but in the Hebrew, um, in the list of Haman's ten sons, there's three letters that are written very small for n- no apparent reason. Um, and the letters are Tav, Shin, and Zion. And uh, in, in Hebrew, um, the letters are also numbers. Right, kind of like Roman numerals are right. So, but those, um, those letters actually add up to um, that was that is how um, if you're writing out numbers, you would write five thousand seven hundred seven, which is the the Jewish year that these ten uh, Nuremberg um, criminals were hung. Holy cow! Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> so that's crazy. It is crazy, isn't it? Now, and and Joseph uh, was it Joseph Julius Julius Stryker, um, actually when when he got up to the 
to the the platform to be hung. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah. Um, at the uh, at the bottom of the steps, he like just like suddenly blurted out, "Heil Hitler!" and like sh- shocked everyone. And then he gets up there and says, "Now I now I go to God." And uh, they they put the the bag over him, and um, and then suddenly he screams out again, uh, "Prem 1946!" Wow! And, and so he he knew he recognized this obvious connection. That was like was being played out, um, and then of course those ten sons of Haman were all hung in 1946. You know, uh, in the year 5707. Yeah. There are so many things about this story that jumps out to me, right? That are so applicable to our day. One is this idea of conspiracy, right? Everything's in the shadows. Everything is happening behind the scenes. Yeah, right. I think we live in a time where that's look. We'll just we'll we'll just go ahead and use uh, oh what's his name the guy who had the island Epstein, Epstein right? He just magically winds up dead, hangs yeah. himself with a paper sheet, right? right? Likewise, we got all sorts of intrigue going on right now. Balloons flying overhead, right? All this stuff happening, at some point, God's promises are, I'm going to bring all this to light. That's right. Yeah. We're going to bring all, all the this, hidden things. All this stuff is going to come to Shout it from the rooftops. And yeah, so I, I, I like thought. like a microcosm of that. Exactly. Story it's of a microcosm of, of what I think we're, we're going through now. And, and there's definitely parallels back in the Book of Mormon to the Gadian robbers. And, Absolutely. And that kind of intrigue. But it all is going to come out. The other thing that that jumps out to me is that the Jewish people have suffered from ancient hatred, right? Yes. The the hatred that seems to come around about once every 75 to 100 years for the Jews is just astounding, right? And it lasts. It never fully goes away. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, if you want to know where the world's at, look at how the Jewish people are being treated. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a good barometer of mm-hmm. where the world is as far as instability. Yeah. And it lasts. Case in point, Iran. Do you know what Iran means in Farsi? I don't. Oh, you're going <clears> to love <throat> this. So... And everyone, you can fact check me on this. I've double, triple, quadruple checked it. But just look it up. So during World War II, or right before World War II, Iran was called Persia. Right. Okay. The Third Reich, officials from the Nazi Party make a journey out to Persia to try to solidify places for transport because they're fighting a war in Africa and Saudi Arabia and they want to have access. So they're going to go through Persia. They have a grand meeting. I mean, they're slapping backs and he's like, you know what? You guys should change your name to Aryan. Double check it. Get your phone right now while we're on the air and translate Iran what does Iran mean in Farsi? And okay. it's Aryan. 
Wow. It is craziness. And every time this happens, it lasts forever. It doesn't go away fully. Here it is, right here. What does Iran mean? The land of Aryans. Oh, that's the Wikipedia article. That's amazing. Land of Aryans. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I knew that, uh, yeah, that they were, um, that the, the, the Ottomans, I guess, sent yeah. plenty and, of soldiers yeah. to support the Nazi efforts. Yeah. And so I, I only bring that up because you have to understand that the adversary's never done. And God made a promise to the Jewish people. And he keeps his promises. Mm. That's where the Savior came down through. Mm. And the adversary still bears that. And so if, if there's another thing we can take away from this story is that be, be on the lookout, right? When, when you start seeing these things come to pass and you start seeing more and more anti-Semitism, you can bet global unrest is at the door mm-hmm. every time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, yeah. Israel is the is the centerpiece, right? The it's linchpin the fl- for the end days. Like it's the flashpoint, right? Yeah, it yeah, is absolutely yeah. where where it all goes down, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, yeah. but awesome, awesome. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. So, so we are having. Um, so we are ha- So this year, um, Parim is going to be on the seventh and eighth. Okay. Of March, and uh, uh, which is in the middle of the week, so we're actually having a party on the eleventh. Um, so a couple of days later, but that'll be a Saturday. <clears throat> um, at four p.m., you can, you know, the Zarahemla uh, Foundation uh, Facebook page should have information about it. But it's a <clears throat> it's a costume party because of all the disguises and secret things, and also. Uh, it'll be a potluck, and the potluck theme is um, foods that have hidden middles. Okay. So, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, peanut M and M's or uh, egg rolls, you know, or chimichanga, something that's covered up. You can't see uh, jelly what's donuts. on the inside. Jelly donuts, exactly. Yep. Um, uh, so you got the idea: pizza rolls, nice uh, pot stickers. Yeah. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, you know, Fudge-dipped Oreos, you know. So what kind of costumes are people dressing <laughs> up in? Oh, uh, various. Okay. Um, uh, various, I think. I mean, it's – it's there's, there's always it's, there's always quite a uh, – let me see. So last year, I'll, I'll tell you my, what my family did. So um, if I can remember all of them. I probably won't be able to remember all of them. But um, uh, uh, my son – was a dress up as a grenade. He's a hand grenade. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, I was uh, actually this wasn't that was actually two years ago. Anyway, it, last year he was a Jedi. Okay. Um, I like to do kind of punny things sometimes. So the other two this is two years ago. I I wore like a I cut out some uh, like fig leaf out of paper and made a little apron and then I put uh, put on my chest. Um, some red and blue balloons, two of each, with like electric charges written on them. So it was like a helium, nice helium nucleus. So, but I had the the uh, fig leaves, so I was a helium atom. Nice, so, you know, nice. Anyway, dumb stuff like that. But uh, 
I was thinking uh, about just putting on my suit and falling down and just pretend I'm Joe Biden. <laughs> so, <laughs> my, uh, my, I think it was my, it was either my, I can't remember now, my mother-in-law or father-in-law came a few years ago and they had a, they had a, uh, like a, a cereal box on their back, but it was like all painted all black. And so they were, they said they were a refrigerator magnet. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it looked like they just click them on there. Anyway, um, so a lot of them are just uh, fun. You know, um, you know, we, people normally uh, kind of avoid the cool. Halloween yeah. type. Yeah. And gore and, and uh, yeah. goblins and vampires and stuff. Um, traditionally, um, a lot of, um, you know, in Jewish circles, they, they like encourage people to dress up as the characters uh, good the characters. Movie. Yeah, as like prophets or uh, Esther or um, you know, Mordecai, people from the story, things like that. So, so anyway, it's a fun time. We we usually will um, will uh, dress up. We'll also we'll play dice games, cast lots. Yes, exactly. Nice. So we'll play bug and uh, you know Yahtzee and um, ten thousand or Farkle or whatever you played any of those games and um and we'll also have like a melodramatic reading of uh, the story of esther so we won't read uh we can read kind of in a, a in a abbreviated version so the kids can follow along but we read the story and um and every time haman is mentioned then everyone boos and stamps their feet and when gotcha. esther or mordecai are mentioned then everyone cheers and um, you know, blows their noisemakers or whatever. Nice. And uh, so that's fun. And uh, and eat our uh, eat our foods with hidden centers. I so, like it. I uh, like yeah. it. So it's a fun time. Awesome. All right. And when is that going to be again? Uh, it's going to be uh, March 11th. So that's Saturday. Okay. And uh, 4 p.m. is when we're going to kind of gather. We usually you know gather and play uh, play games while food is preparing, and then perfect. Well, I'll go ahead and mention that to a bunch. Until then, and we'll okay. Sounds good. Support, dude. It's always fun when you come over. Yeah, so it's a pleasure. I love having you here. So, all right. Next one is next one's going to be Passover. Passover. Yeah, and Passover and, and unleavened, unleavened bread. bread. Awesome. I can't wait for that one. That one's going to be epic. That one will be a so, big one. All right, everyone. Bye. to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.